Hey, we're so glad that you join us and we love you as listeners. We, we've got a great offer for you from our sponsor, Life Guides. Life Guides is a peer-to-peer community that helps people navigate through their day-to-day stressors by providing a place of empathy, listening, wisdom, and support with a guide who has walked in your shoes, experiencing the same challenge or life experience as you. Now, we've got a great offer for you. To get this service for your team and show that you care, go to lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo and add our special podcast code healthy 2021 into the free text box to receive two months of free service two months that's a great deal you know i love these guys their goal is to impact the lives of a billion people in a positive way it's life guides thank you so much guys Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. We hope the time you're going to spend with us will help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. We invite experts from around the world of work and life to, to give us ideas and most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in our world. And our guest today is the delightful Julie Carrier. Julie is a good friend, a fellow member of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches Cohort. And as you'll hear, a force of nature. And we are not under selling that, my one bet. She's a former um, senior management consultant in leadership development for the Pentagon. She specializes in neuroscience-based leadership education. Julie then decided to transition her work to lead a movement to empower those who empower girls and empower girls to empower each other. She's an author and a speaker who has a reach of more than one million girls with her inspirational thoughts and practical advice. Welcome to the show, Julie. We are beyond delighted to have you a guest on our podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much, Chester. Thank you, Adrian. I really believe in this important message that you're getting out to the world. So thank you for for inviting me to be here. Well, thanks again, Julie. And we are really thrilled to have you on the show. Now, of course, you do work with, um, you've done work with more than just girls, but that is your, that's your specialty now. And, you know, you, we have a chapter in our new book, Anxiety at Work, devoted to groups who are underrepresented. And how to better advocate for individuals on our teams who may fight, may, might face challenges because of their identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tell your mentees to be beautiful, which I love that. <laughs> the, the emphasis on you. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your work with young women right now and maybe how anxiety might be influencing them. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world that that praises us on condition, that raises us to believe that our worth is contingent upon our outcomes and achievements. And the reality is, I think that's actually not just for girls, but for everyone. The number one biggest or one of the biggest sources of anxiety and stress because if we're constantly on an achievement treadmill and we're constantly having to hustle for our worth and worthiness, the second we mess up or we fail, guess what? That means we feel like a failure. And what what greater anxiety is there than that to feel worthless? So a big core tenet of my message is that the ultimate self-confidence is actually inherent self-worth. Understanding that you as a human being, just as you are right now, are inherently valuable, inherently worthy, and no amount of success 
or achievement or failure or mistakes can actually impact your inherent value that you are born with the day you arrive on planet Earth. So it's a non-conventional approach to building confidence. But in all fairness, I actually think it needs to be the, the most core tenet of building confidence in not just girls, but in everyone. You know, it, it's so interesting. I, I love that, that, that tenet, just as you are. You know, you are of value. And it's interesting, you know, confidence is that one trait that uh, it's often seen as a positive in men. But in young women, it's often taught, it's kind of taught out of them as an early age, right? We've actually seen that confidence can be seen as, as being pushy, you know, as something that most women have experienced at work. At work, you know, men are aggressive and, and, and competitive and women are pushy and, and, and so on. And it causes a lot of anxiety, you know, at least we found that mm-hmm. in our work. Can you mm-hmm. share your experience with this problem and how it might have caused you some anxiety in the places that you worked? Interestingly enough, so I'll, I'll get to that point because that definitely emerges later when women haven't been taught how to own their authentic confidence and that it can come out and be interpreted differently, you know, depending on the, on the workspace. And again, bossiness can be attributed to being, uh, you know, if you're a woman, you're bossy, but if you're a man, you're confident, you're a go-getter. Nice. I think it actually starts with this idea that so many, men and women, but especially when when we're younger, we kind of are conditioned with this idea to think that confidence is something you're either born with or you're not. And what I try to really emphasize to all of the audiences that I speak with is that confidence is actually a learned skill. It actually comes from practicing courage. And what is courage? Courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And I think when we start with the neuroscience of confidence, understanding where self-doubt comes from, it allows women boldly to be who they are in any space, whether or not someone thinks that they're being too aggressive or bossy. It doesn't matter anymore because they already know who they are and what they stand for. So their expression is a natural reflection of who they are instead of a tactic or a technique that they're trying to use to appear more confident confident. Yeah, I've appreciated as I've been reading about you, Julie, and we've known each other now for for some time with the Marshall Goldsmith uh, cohort. But I've as I've been reading about you, I really appreciated how vulnerable you've been and talking about your own experience, you know, really in high school through young mm-hmm. adulthood, where anxiety was a factor in your ability to perform perform at work. Yes. So what's been your advice maybe to managers who have somebody like you coming into the workforce who's really talented, has lots to give, but mm-hmm. maybe feeling what you did and maybe take us a little through your background. Absolutely. So a lot of times, you know, if people are seeing me speak, whether it's virtual or, or live, I think my largest audience has been 70,000 people. It was in <laughs> wow. such a big space. It actually was outdoor and they built a huge, you know, basically amphitheater. Uh, if they see me in those spaces, they would never believe the fact that when I was younger, I had crippling anxiety and self-doubt. I had a, a growth disorder. In fact, um, I was so short and small, my voice like sounded just like this, like literally like I had <laughs> inhaled helium. And so why, while it was cute and while I, you know, I, I would occasionally speak up, what happened was all the kids would laugh and, and tease and make fun of my voice. So I started to constantly get the message that my voice shouldn't be heard, that what I, what I said really didn't matter. And I started to feel like my life wouldn't amount to much and that I shouldn't even try. And um, it was interesting. Uh, something happened, and, and there's there's a lot of research on this by Dr. Martin Seligman about peak experiences or trans 
transformative moments, a friend of mine dared me to run for student council, even though I was considered the class nerd and in my mind a pariah that nobody liked. And fast forward to the end of the the competition, uh, I actually was selected junior class vice president. And, And I realized something really dramatic in that moment is that my opinions and my view of myself so dramatically differed from reality. It really helped me to start to invest my time and energy into why why is what we tell ourselves so different than really what the truth is? Why do we so often fill ourselves with self-doubt when we try to step out and do something big or bold? And so that's actually what led me into studying neuroscience, studying how the brain works and understanding the power of when we know why those things happen, we get our confidence and our power back. And it's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, you know, we, we love the science behind all this stuff. I, I will admit that Adrian loves the science a little more than I do. <laughs> that, 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 that is fair to say. How the brain works, you know, is, is such a mystery. But you, you mentioned in your work about the default mode network. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. You explain that it's the way the brain uses to make us feel safe and that it can also limit our personal growth, right? So what advice do you give women that you coach to help them break free of the default mode network? And what can managers do to encourage confidence in people on their teams? I love that. And Adrian, this will go to answering your earlier question as well about what managers can do. So I think the biggest thing that we can do and we help women and, and really everyone is to realize that anytime we give them a task or a challenge or an opportunity that's outside their natural comfort zone, it's actually going to trigger that default mode network. Now, just for our listeners, I'm not going to geek out too much, I promise you, <laughs> but it is important to understand that the default mode network is basically, to put it in, in in lay terms, a co-activated set of brain regions that gets activated when we're not consciously engaged and enmeshed in a task. So Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's exactly what I would have said. So all that procrastination about putting something off, worrying about the task, thinking about how it's going to go wrong, all of that's our default mode network. Many of you, you you actually, uh, Chester and Adrian, probably found if you've ever procrastinated and you finally take just the smallest action, then you have all this work done and you're like, what was the big deal? Why was I putting this off? wasn't that hard. Well, guess what? You're in the task positive network. So what I want to emphasize is it's natural and normal. Anytime we give someone a task or a responsibility outside their comfort zone, that that's going to activate that default mode network. So the default mode network, to put it in kind of humorous terms, is like this uh, sisterhood of well-intentioned friends that thinks that they're helping you by giving you terrible advice, right? <laughs> it is. And and so this, this idea that negative self-talk is, oh, I'm so negative. I, I talk to myself so negatively. It's actually false. We're not talking to ourselves. That's an outdated program that basically evolved when we were having to stay small to keep from getting kicked out of the cave, when we were having to be on high alert, scanning the horizon for saber-toothed tigers, right? So the modern rules of success are different, right? They require us to constantly step outside of our comfort zone and try new things and step up and be bolder, but we're constantly activating that old program that says, hey, I'm going to try to keep you safe by keeping you small. I'm going to try to keep you safe by making sure you don't step outside your comfort zone. So if we understand that part of our old biology, this outdated program in our brain is trying to kind of sabotage our success, but well-intentioned, we can understand, oh, wow, actually, this is a normal human reaction to something that is big 
and is high stakes. So I'm just gonna let that automatic negative chatter happen. I'm gonna put it in its place and I'm gonna take action anyway. So we don't wanna identify with negative self-talk. We wanna actually see it almost like an external person. And one of the biggest techniques, and whether managers choose to use this or not, it actually can be helpful for managers to use themselves because even being in a managerial position, managing others, that can come with a lot of anxiety and stress. It's called name it to tame it. So if you want to actually get your power back, feel more confident, uh, bust through those those fear barriers, you actually want to name your inner critic. So for example, and by the way, this is not some fluffy feel good technique. This is actually evidence based by research at Stanford. Okay, so sometimes the, the simplest techniques are the most powerful. For me, my inner critic is named vitriolica. And we don't just want to name the inner critic. We actually want to visualize it. So she, in my mind, is wearing a pencil skirt. She's got her hair severely pulled back in a bun. She has like uh, really high heels and is carrying a clipboard to constantly judge me and all the mistakes that I'm making. But I can see her in my mind. I know she's well-intentioned and I know she doesn't know any better. So when I'm getting ready to do something big, one of the best things that managers can do or even teach their employees is to, hey, you know what? Nervousness is normal. It's just me you're stepping outside your comfort zone and I'm really proud of you for doing that. And then by the way, that internal dialogue, you say, hey, Vitriolica or whatever the name of your own inner critic is, I need you to sit this one out because I got this. You literally talk to it as if it's another person and it works on a couple levels. One, it's funny. It snaps you out of your fear. But two, it activates your task positive network. It gives you something to do. And guess what? The task positive network and the default mode network are like a seesaw or teeter totter. Once you turn on the task positive network, it shuts off that negative chatter and a healthy functioning normal brain. You know, I just wanted to add to that. You know, there's been a lot of talk, and, and you know, when you read about stuff like this, it, it just seems to pop up, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you, you buy a Volkswagen, all of a sudden every car on the road is a Volkswagen, you know? <laughs> um, this idea of, of the, the black wolf and the white wolf, you know, I think mm-hmm. you've, you've heard this, right? The wolf that wins is the wolf that you feed. Is, is that kind of what you're saying there? You've got this vitriolica, and, and you just say, hey, I'm not going to feed you today. I'm not going to give you space today. I've got that. Is is that similar to the white wolf, black wolf conversation? Yeah, it's it's very similar. I think the, the, the differentiation is to realize that that voice, that inner critic, even as vicious as it can be sometimes, that's actually not you. That's not you telling yourself those things. That's an outdated program that doesn't know any better, that's saying automatic negative chatter to try to keep you safe. So would we say, oh, I am my stomach digesting my food? No, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Right? We wouldn't say, oh, I am my heart beating blood throughout my body. Not really. We wouldn't say that. Why would we say I am my automatic negative chatter? Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. it, it's all about distancing ourselves from the power of that chatter to know that it's just chatter. It has no power over us. It's a natural human reaction that comes with stepping outside comfort zones. This is so powerful, Julie. I mean, we still do that. Just and I, we've been presenting for 20 years. And a couple of days ago, we were presenting to 50 Amazon executives. And, and, and you know, you kind of look at these folks and you go, Oh my gosh! Like George Costanza, they're 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 real folks with jobs, Jerry. They 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 have spouses, they have secretaries. You know, you start getting panicky, and then you kind of realize, okay, you know, vitriolica, you know, calm down. Uh, just yeah, let's let's just go out, let's present what we have, and it worked out great. You know, um, that that 
you really have to kind of push down that uh, that inner voice. So um, tell us a little bit about, I've got a kind of a follow-up question, but tell us a little bit about how people can find out more about your work, because I think they're really going to be excited to learn more about you, Julie. Yes, well, I appreciate that. In fact, I'm working on a book. I've had so many people interested in this idea of the science of confidence. I'm actually working on a book about it. So the book is not available yet, but it will be. Uh, the best way to find me right now through for my work for girls is girlslead.com or uh, topspeakerforgirls.com. If it's related to my work for executives or for women related to the neuroscience of confidence, the best place for that is LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, I'm, I know people will be reaching out to you. Um, another thing we found in your work so far, which I'm sure will be in your upcoming book, is this <laughs> idea you've talked about called the full can principle, uh, you know, which I, I love. And I don't want to steal your analogy because uh, I want you to explain it to us. But, uh, you know, talk a little bit about this and also, you know, sort of, you know, after you've explained this principle, how do you fill up, you know, the can, so to speak, every, yeah. every day for yourself? Absolutely. Well, I, I think it's interesting. So often we kind of think, gosh, we want to put gas in our car. We want to make sure to take it to the dealer and get it, you know, it's checkup. We want it. But when it comes to taking time to fill up our own tank, it seems like, oh, you know, I just want to keep driving myself and keep working and working. And we think that our body is just going to continue to perform at its optimal level. I like to say that this idea of self-care is, is not a luxury. It's actually, it, it's a necessity if you want to perform at your highest levels. And oh, by the way, Way, the more filled up you are energetically, the less the default mode network is going to take over because uh, the more energy you have, the more you lead from your, your forward thinking prefrontal cortex, right? So the, the idea of this can is if you take a full unopened can, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to do this, but you actually try to squeeze it with all of your might, it really won't break as long as it's not open. I mean, it's got so much inside, it can withstand any pressure. But the second you open that can, you start to dump, dump out some of the contents, uh, guess what? at the smallest amount of pressure and it will cave. People are a lot the same way, right? We we will cave under pressure so much more easily when we're not prioritizing actively taking care of ourselves every single day. So like even in preparation for this interview, I got up, I worked out, I tried to eat a good breakfast because I knew those things weren't luxuries. I wasn't being selfish. I wanted to show up and be my best here today. So we actually owe it to our teams. We owe it to our employees to actively plan to take care of ourselves because it impacts everyone around us. And in fact, um, this idea of mirror neurons. I don't know if any of you've heard of this idea, but the idea is attitudes are contagious. Have you ever had the experience, Adrian or Chester, when someone yawned and then you automatically yawned as well? Of course, every yeah, time. Yeah, right? Why does that happen? Well, that's something called mirror neurons. So as a leader, your energy, your own confidence actually ripples out and impacts the brain neural firing of your employees. So if you are a confident, grounded person, you're taking care of yourself, you're driving the team forward, guess what? They're going to be more confident as well. So our own emotional state actually has a huge impact on the emotional states of those who work for us. Yeah, I love that mirroring. And and I get what you're saying. Of course, it doesn't work for everything, right? Like I hang around with a lot of people with a full head of hair. And no matter how much I hang out with those people, I am still a, uh, you know, a bald man. So just, just a heads up to the men out there. Uh, hey, you know, we love your work with, with girls in particular. And I love the fact that you always say, look, this isn't just for girls. This is for everybody. 
You know, these are principles that 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 are for everybody. And yet, it is interesting that girls often outperform, um, you know, boys in school, right? Statistically, yeah. women in the U.S. graduate from high school more often. They have a higher percentage of college students and college degrees. But you explain that the performance at school doesn't always translate into the corporate world, which is fascinating, right? So why aren't leaders always able to get the same kind of performance from those same individuals in the workplace? Why all of a sudden this disparity? Success academically, not mm-hmm. as much success in the business world. Yes, that's a very important question. And actually, I'm trying to change the education system because of it. What we're, I, what we're finding and what research actually shows is that that traditional education, the grade-based education, they become competence factories. So students are always about trying to achieve that perfect grade, rating their worth based on that score, playing it safe, coloring within the lines because they don't want to make waves, you know, sitting in their chair, speaking when they raise their hand. So it's it's very much conditioning for competence, but not for confidence, not for risk-taking, not for stepping outside their comfort zone. And so I think one of the things that is a challenge is you can have the academically most competent person, but if they haven't learned things like resilience, like how do you how do you push through fear, how do you lead teams, they're not going to be able to bring that same level of necessarily competence to those, those non-academic areas that are equally as important, if not more, than math, science, and English. So that's one of the reasons why I'm a huge advocate for actually teaching leadership development skills during the academic school day. Just like kids go to math and science class, I believe that girls and, and young men as well deserve to go to an applied neuroscience leadership class. So with uh, the support of my friend Lisa Senka, we actually are changing education. We are uh, piloting and bringing into the mix national leadership schools where kids actually learn how to be resilient, how to feel confident, how to manage their emotions, how to lead teams. So it's it's quite exciting. It's, a, it's, it's slowly building, but Gosh, if they don't have those skills when they come into the office, there needs to be some sort of training or opportunity to grow and learn because leadership is a learned skill. Confidence is a learned skill. Resilience is a learned skill. And if they didn't have the opportunity in most traditional undergrad and high school education, they're going to need that opportunity when they go go into their, their companies and their workplaces. Well, we really are amazed at the work you're doing there. Uh, I know it's 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 just starting to launch, and we're, we we had a pre- sneak preview a couple of days of your work with your team, Julian. It's really amazing. So, congratulations on the early launch. And um, you know, we're all about giving leaders actionable advice on, on this podcast. And you know, one bit of advice we always come back to is is helping the people that we're leading reduce uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Now, so talk maybe a little bit about uncertainty in your work and. Maybe that how how that plays into the performance we see when sometimes women enter the workforce or or anything that we can do as leaders to learn from your experience. Absolutely. So there are so many different ideas. I think especially when it comes to women, I think you know this idea of having a mentor is really helpful. But I think even more is this idea of having a champion or an advocate or a sponsor. Someone who says, look, I'm not just going to mentor you. I'm going to advocate for you. I'm going to champion you. So in doing that, the amount of confidence that the person is getting because this person is actively championing and advocating for this person for promotions or or additional responsibility, that is one of the fastest ways to build, uh, build the capacity 
for women to step outside their comfort zones, but not doing it alone, doing it with the support of someone who's a champion or an advocate. So we know, it, I always say the phrase, it's, it's from Disney, it takes teamwork to make dreams work. And while we know that's true in all workforces, it's especially true when working with women who may be new, new into the workforce, new into certain responsibilities, that idea of sponsorship and mentoring is essential. You know, I, I'm I'm mirroring. Let me say that again. I am mirroring your enthusiasm. I mean, Adrian, it's it's pretty hard not to be upbeat when you're talking to Julie Carrier. So, <laughs> tell us one more time where we can uh, follow you and find your work for those that are listening. Absolutely. So for my work for girls, if they go to girlslead.com, uh, that, that's going to be the best site to learn about the books and the confidence resources I have for girls. And then when it comes to the leading edge leadership curriculum that we're bringing to high schools or the work that I'm doing with confidence in, in women and, and young women, the best place for that is LinkedIn. Excellent. So incredible conversation. If you had to sum up your thoughts today, what can leaders do to help re- reduce anxiety at work for the young women that are entering their workplaces? What's, what's the main takeaway you want us to walk away with today? The biggest thing, I would say two things, is, number, well, three things. Number one, keep listening to this podcast because you are <laughs> you. doing an incredible job give, getting content and ideas out there in a subject area that's usually not addressed. This idea of anxiety at work, sometimes it's, oh, it's hush-hush, but it's very common. I mean, most people, if you're growing and learning in the workforce, you're going to have anxiety. Or if you're leading teams, you're going to have anxiety. So your strategies are priceless. The second thing I would say is the best way to support a team members, if you're a leader in the workplace, is to manage your own prioritize your own mental well-being and your own emotional capacity because that's going to influence your teams far more than anything else. You know, it's interesting when I go into schools and I do I do assemblies, I can always tell the leadership of the principal by how the kids greet me in the first 30 seconds when I walk through those doors. And by the way, it's not just schools, it's also workplaces as well. So that attitude of the leader, the mindset of the leader is the number one biggest influence on everyone in that building, in my opinion. And then thirdly, it would be that let people know that nervousness and anxiety is normal when you're stepping outside your comfort zone. It's how our brains are wired. But we don't want to interpret that anxiety as a block to continue. We want to interpret it as, hey, wow, I'm so proud of myself for stepping outside my comfort zone that this this anxiety vitriolica showed up. Man, that means I'm growing and learning. Well, Julie, this has been just amazing. We love your confidence, as you talk about, uh, and it's it's genuine because it comes from a place where you've worked on it. Like many of us, you know, you you didn't start out uh, feeling this way, but you have you have learned it, and so you are a walking, talking billboard for for the young women who are coming behind you. So, congratulations on all your amazing success. Thank yeah. you. I, I just want to say I worked really hard for this. Literally, if you would have met me like, in college, like I was I've I've had to work so hard. And so I, I think that's an important idea. It's it's not just something you're born with. You actually have to work hard at it. And if you do, you can show up and speak in front of 70,000 people and rock the audience. Like if I can do it, it means anybody can. <laughs> hey, and listen, just as we close, you know, we, we always want to give a shout out to your amazing husband, Bill. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sure that he feeds your confidence, too. And you're just uh, such a power couple and, a, and and dynamos, each of you. So thanks so much again for being on the podcast. Hey, we will stay in touch and, and look for ways to support your work. Absolutely. Chester, Adrian, thank you so much. This was awesome. 
Well, Chess, that was just amazing. Julie is, is as you said at the beginning, a force of nature. <laughs> and I just loved her vulnerability. And that will stay with me for some time, her story about her squeaky voice. And, know, you know, know. how because we all felt like that way, didn't we? In, in junior high, high school, we all felt like misfits. And and she said, no, no, you got to learn confidence. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had the same reaction. I was picturing her as part of the lollipop guild, you know, in The Wizard of Oz. Um, I, I do love that thing, though, she talks about the achievement treadmill. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting that we feel like a failure, that it's all about, yeah. you know, it, progressing and getting, you know, the next promotion and making more money. That self-worth is the key, that you are valuable just the way you are. And I, I thought that was such a great way to kick off the conversation. Yeah. No, I love that. You know, owning your authentic confidence and and just that point when she ran for student council and, and she says, my view of myself, I realized, differed from reality. How often do we do that? You know, we hear our voice on uh, on a recording and we go, oh, my gosh, I sound awful. Do I, I can't sound like that. And uh, no, people say you do, but you sound great. You sound fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we are our own worst critics. And so her whole work is around, you know, building confidence that you are of worth. Well, I love that she gave her negative inner voice a name, vitriolica, you know. <laughs> and it is funny how I, I will say things to ourselves like that. You know, you'll get your driver's license. You, Does that really look like me? Go, well, it's a photograph. <laughs> it, 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 it really is you, you know. Uh, and, and, and how you, you, you talk to that vitriolica and say, hey, I've got this. And, and the idea that these things are learned. He said, you know, some people, well, some people are just confident. They learn that, you know, courage is learned. Confidence is learned. And I think that gives everybody great hope because we do tend to drift towards that. Oh, they're just that way. You know, they were just born that way. Well, there was probably a lot of education and trial and error that went into that as well. And so you give yourself permission to learn and to grow. I love that. And I think it's really important for our listeners, who, whether you're a manager, whether you're a woman yourself, is is to really think about this this default mode network that's yeah. trying to keep us safe. Our little inside voice. I love that she called it the sisterhood of friends who who think they're being helpful by giving you terrible advice. You know? <laughs> and and just the kind of coming back to you know why do girls do well in school, but but often don't do as well in the boardroom. And she was saying, look, because we're, we as leaders perhaps are not, when they're coming into the workplace, giving them enough opportunities to, to learn, to learn to push through, through fear, to, to lead a team, to, to build up resilience, and to really learn some of the skills that, that help them break the rules, if you will. So what are we doing as leaders to help? Yeah, giving them the confidence. Let's say, look, it, it, and by the way, normalizing. Look, I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone and you're going to be nervous. And that's normal. And that's okay. Uh, and that you've got this. The other concept was the full can concept. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was, as she was talking about that, I thought, yeah, you know, you pull a can of beans out there. There's, you have no shot <laughs> at crushing that can. And yet, after you've cooked, you know, you, you wash it out, you crush it, you put it in the recycling. It's easy. So how do you keep your can full? And I was just so honored that she said, I knew I was doing this podcast today. I made sure I got good sleep. I exercised. I ate a good breakfast because I wanted to bring my best self. And, you know, how to honor her time with us by, by doing that. It made me think, I got to do more of that for the stuff I do, you know, rather mm-hmm. than, oh, okay, it's time. Let's go do it. Right? right, which which we so often do. Well, at and least bring, and bring I do. your best. <laughs> well, not to bring your best <laughs> self. And she's saying that. Look, as leaders, 
bring your best self because, you know, as we've, we wrote, I think it was all in All In, our book on culture. We, we said, you know, a leader spreads uh, positivity or negativity around like a bad cologne or a, or a good <laughs> perfume, right? Uh, it stays even after they leave a room because they set the tone. So, so really an amazing podcast. We want yeah. to thank Julie Carrier for coming on today. Of course, a special thanks to our producer, Brent Klein. To Christy Lawrence, who helps us find amazing guests like Julie. And to all of those of you who listen in, and especially those who download our podcast that helps keep building up our community. You bet. We, we love the podcast. We hope you'll buy our book. It's available on Amazon, Anxiety at Work by Harper Business. We've also created our wonderful community, WeThriveTogether.Global, a safe place to talk about wellness, anxiety in the workplace. And it's it's a growing community. It's free. Please, if, if you're not uh, confident in talking about your anxiety or wellness at work, come join us. It's a wonderfully supportive uh, network and community. We'd love to see you there at WeThriveTogether.Global. So until next time, we wish you nothing but the best of mental health. Take care. Hey, we're so glad that you join us and we love you as listeners. We, we've got a great offer for you from our sponsor, Life Guides. Life Guides is a peer-to-peer community that helps people navigate through their day-to-day stressors by providing a place of empathy, listening, wisdom, and support with a guide who has walked in your shoes, experiencing the same challenge or life experience as you. Now, we've got a great offer for you. To get this service for your team and show that you care, go to lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo and add our special podcast code healthy 2021 into the free text box to receive two months of free service two months that's a great deal you know i love these guys their goal is to impact the lives of a billion people in a positive way it's life guides thank you so much guys